Hi, this is Lee and Kate Ridge welcoming you to this week's edition of Education Transformation. This week, Terry Iverson joins the conversation, successful businessman, founder of the American Champion Now organization, and the author of the book, Finding America's Greatest Champion. Terry is the third generation owner of Iverson and Company. Iverson and Company is a precision tool manufacturing company established in 1931. Terry Iverson is more than a successful businessman. His story offers hope for young people, and this is something we all need. In this conversation, we learn about Terry's passion for the American manufacturing sector and his enthusiasm for young people to join the sector. The conversation provides a unique industry insight into the role of adult education. In addition, we learn about the Champion Now organization and his insightful book titled Finding America's Greatest Champion. I trust you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Transformation Consultancy also facilitates educational institutional reviews. Learn more at www.transformationconsultancy.com.au. So Terry, thanks so much for your time today. I know you're a busy man. You've had 40 years in the manufacturing industry, so an enormous amount of experience, enormous amount of success as well. Perhaps you could briefly describe your manufacturing career. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. Uh, secondly, I started when I was a fairly young man, probably 21 years old. My family got into the manufacturing sector back in the 1920s with my grandfather and then my father in the 1950s, and then I started in 1980. Uh, our family has a machine tool distributorship, so we sell machine tools and rebuild machine tools for manufacturers throughout the country, but primarily in the Midwestern states of the United States, uh, Wisconsin, Illinois, and Indiana. So I started initially with my uncle. I have two uncles. Uh, one just passed, unfortunately, but both had uh, job shops in the manufacturing sector. So I started with one uncle working for him uh, when I was a teenager, and then soon after I got married, and then I started working for the family business in 1980 as a machine tool salesperson on the road. Fantastic. So so you've got some heritage there. We do have a legacy and I'm quite proud of it. Uh, I'm yes. honored to be uh, to be able to been with the family as long as I have. Mm, mm, wonderful. Now, I'm sure many uh, lecturers and instructors over the years we've met, like myself, we've met some some very successful business people that we've been training their apprentices or their or their staff um, on their behalf. But I've never encountered someone with such passion as yourself for someone that is uh, so eager to see the raising of the next generation into the manufacturing industry. Can you take a moment just to walk us through that and explain where your passion comes from? Well, I think my passion comes from, I've always, as a young person, felt people looked out for me. My parents split mm. when I was about six years old and uh, my mom and my sister and I moved to Florida and my, my dad stayed here in Chicago. So there was always family friends that looked out for me and mentored me as a young person. There was always teachers and coaches growing up in grade school and, and then ultimately in high school. So I felt compelled to always give back and to mentor young people. Mm. And as, mm. as an adult, 
I started coaching soccer when my children were very young. I was a soccer player uh, when I grew up. And so I would teach young people not only about playing soccer, but also about life and accountability and being responsible citizens. And then after I retired from soccer, I tried to implement implement that into the industry. And uh, I always hired young people uh, in our company and trained them uh, and mentored them within our company as well. So you run a really successful business. You employ your own staff. You've been doing that now for obviously for four decades, and the and the and it's a family commitment, which is wonderful to see. Uh, but you've gone further than that. You've you've developed a, a program or a movement known as Champion Now. Perhaps you could just take a moment to explain to the listeners what Champion Now is all about. Well, Champion Now is an acronym. It's a 501c3 that I started in about 2012. And I had become involved in a lot of technical education, uh, high school advisory committees and different organizations, educational foundations. And I was trying to figure out a way to change the perceptions of manufacturing. So the CH, change how, and then the AM came in to be American Manufacturing. So CHAMPION actually stands for Change How American Manufacturing is Perceived in Our Nation. So it's a very mm-hmm. long acronym, obviously. And the now sure. is, the, now is the, the call to action to do something about it. So, so what has traditionally been the perception of the American manufacturing sector? Well, manufacturing in general, I don't know if it's just the American element. Uh, different parts of the world view manufacturing differently. But in the United States, there's a, a common misperception that we don't do as much manufacturing or we don't do any manufacturing. And that's not true. And And then there's also the perception that it's dark, dingy, dead end, low paying, uh, you know, not very challenging. Uh, and the reality is, as years go by, technology advancements, automation enables us to compete globally, but it also raises the bar of skill level needed and also the pay uh, in the, you know, the payment uh, in salaries and bonuses and in overtime for those people that choose to be in those careers. Mm-hmm. is is uh, And so obviously the realities of the manufacturing sector is changing. Um, has has the perception of the American public grown with with that journey as the as the sector has has evolved and has uh, embraced technology and the like? I think the perceptions are changing, but I think they're very slow to change. I mm-hmm. think that the volatility of the manufacturing community is such that you know there's layoffs and people hear about that, and there's mm-hmm. manufacturing that goes overseas. Uh, a great deal of that is starting to come back. But mm-hmm. I don't think the perception change in our culture in the United States is moving as fast as the need uh, mm. is there for it. Yes, yes, yes. I, well, I, I think I think I mean, I'm not an expert on the on the tr- on the manufacturing sector in Australia, but uh, which is where I'm based. But I think uh, there's some similarities there in that story. So. 
Um, perhaps it's a, a global issue, certainly within developed nations, um, that we all that we all share and, and understand. So, Terry, for young people, casting our minds back to when we were young, which was for both of us quite some time ago, <laughs> it's uh, it's quite a challenge to find your life calling, and uh, and sometimes we we find employment in one area, and, and then we think, oh, actually, this isn't really the right fit, or we enrol into an education program, we think this really isn't for me. Um, how do how, what are your views on that and, and, and the importance of finding a work-life balance where you're happy and you're content uh, for the years to come? How do young people uh, undertake that process? Well, I think there's this is a, a very uh, interesting topic and very important topic. I feel that young people need to find something that excites them and that they can do very, you know, work very hard at. And, and if they work very hard, they'll get very good at it. And the money will come. I think in this in, in the United States, Lee, a lot of people take the prototypical path uh, for four or five year college, and they spend literally hundreds of thousands of dollars for an education, and they haven't really looked to see if that that industry or that market is saturated with applicants and and people already in it or not. Mm-hmm. And so I try to make sure that young people uh, know about manufacturing, and if they can you know, possibly do an internship uh, in it. Uh, If it's for them, great. And if it's not for them, that's fine too. Uh, I mentored a few young people that, you know, found their way to manufacturing and uh, ended up uh, inventing different things, uh, products, and they never in their wildest dreams knew that they were going to be a manufacturer. Um, Mm. So the the one thing I tell young people uh, as, and it's kind of universal advice is look, if you if you get an opportunity, no matter what it, it's in, if you show up early and if you leave late and if you tell the truth, you'll be miles ahead. And <laughs> a lot of us that uh, hire young people, you know, the grades matter, but, you know, finding someone that's a hard worker and has the soft skills, you know, to, you know, to and, and work ethic and, and the integrity and honesty, I'll take that young person as an employee any day of the week. Fantastic. I think that's something we can share. You know, I was just listening to you there and, and uh, you know, you're coming from the manufacturing employer perspective and myself and probably a lot of the listeners are coming from the uh, instructor perspective or the lecturer perspective. But, you know, the, the one thing we can share is the fulfilment that you that you gain when you see young people being successful. And you've had a little bit to do with that. I, I'd like to think so, but you never know. But it's it's nice to see young people succeed. I'll say that. Um, the Champion Now movement and and your your uh, structure that you have in place, um, you're a strong advocate for parents and mentors and teachers within the lives of young people. Why are those roles so important? Well, there's a lot of in in the culture in the United States, at least. And I'm sure around the world it's it's very similar. Parents, a lot of times they're single parents, and a lot of times there's both parents that are working. Uh, and so consequently, there's a need for someone other than just a mom and or a dad to you know give their time and give their attention to young people growing up. And then when you get outside of uh, an area like 
man, you know, into manufacturing, let's just say as an example, a lot of time the parents don't possess the, the knowledge base to adequately either instruct or advise or mentor their children. So when you have all these different career sets and you only know in, in education in the U.S., a lot of the uh, guidance counselors and teachers, they don't know about the opportunities in manufacturing or in just vocational uh, career sets in general. And so you provide um, or you're part of a, perhaps a broader network of a mentorship program. Could you could you discuss that a little bit? Well, there's a number of things that I believe in, and mentorship is one. Um, part of that mentorship uh, mode, so to speak, also comes out in internships. And internships, I think, are vital because a lot of people just don't know what they don't know. So in the United States, internships are coming on stronger and stronger as a means for young people to learn more about potential careers that they simply know nothing about. Uh, mm -hmm. So it also gives the opportunity for people in a given skill set or a given career or industry to mentor the young people coming in and, and help guide them uh, and decide for them mutually if their company or their industry is appropriate for them and vice versa. I think that's that's really critical. Um, I've I've taught programs over the years. Um, on occasions, I've been tasked to work with uh, sectors of the of the city where there's uh, you know depressed economic circumstances and where there's students at risk. And so I've come in as part of a broad organisation and we've trained uh, you know fifteen students over approximately twelve weeks in in a trade qualification. And it's just the introduction to, uh, but we're also, we're developing their skills and, and employment skill sets so that hopefully they can go on and find employment. But what I've always walked away from, from those encounters and from those short-term education programs is, is a sad lack of exposure to the industry where we, we may visit industry, et cetera, but the internship process, I think, is, is what's really required in that they, they have an opportunity to work within the industry for a number of weeks and it may be a number of different uh, industry opportunities to gain knowledge, to gain understanding, and uh, perhaps as a little bit of a reward for those that uh, sustain the journey in the education process so that, you know, desperately what, what they all seek is employment, really validation for their efforts. So I think the internship program really has, has merit. I agree. I, I agree wholeheartedly. We we have a lot of uh, internship programs that we work with. Uh, most recently, in recent years, uh, we've actually hired uh, young people through internships. And it's just a win-win for both sides. The young people don't really know what they're getting into, and they don't know if it's right for them. And the employer has the opportunity to understand if that young person has the aptitude and will fit within the culture of their company. Yes, yes. And can you tell up front, can you tell when, when you visit, you know, let's say you visit, you know, 10 graduates or 20 graduates from, from a, uh, a short-term education program like I've just spoken about and you're, and you're seeking to employ one or two perhaps out of that cohort, can you accurately determine which ones are going to be successful when you're recruiting? Yeah, you would think so. Um, <laughs> 
generally speaking, what, what you're finding, at least what I have found in recent months and recent years, is that you know the next generation is are not very good um, or not as good as past generations at articulating with themselves. And so their communication mm-hmm. skills are somewhat, uh, I, I won't say lacking, I'll just say different. How's that? And yeah, so, sure. And so an internship program allows you to interact with, say, the next generation, and, and they interact with you. And, you, and over a longer, longer period of time, you're able to understand uh, if they're a good fit and, and if they uh, have the, the wherewithal to learn. Because very, very rarely do they come in with the skill set and the knowledge that, you, that they're going to need. Sure, but, yes. So, so really, if they if they walk in from some sort of short term education program that maybe might be a pathway from school and into a polytechnic college or similar for for a, a short term prevocational course is what we would call it in Australia, so maybe twenty weeks or less, they come out with with some skills that that might be practical, but they're certainly not subject matter experts. And then the process begins within the uh, employment opportunity that's provided to them. Would you Would you agree? I do agree, but I also think one of the things that we need in manufacturing uh, sector is we need problem solvers. And mm-hmm. so education many times will not really set you up well for understanding what problem solving is all about and what you can bring in, in that regard. So yes. many times yeah. in an in- internship program, you'll get to see them you know, get their feet wet and then all of a sudden, you know, come out of their shell and, and show what they can really do in terms of problem solving. And that's where the fun really starts. Yes, yes. So those employability skills in, in Australia, we would try and embed those into a into a uh, introductory training course or in, in any training course for, for that matter, an accredited course. Uh, but they're critical, aren't they? If, if you can't problem solve and if you don't have great communication skills, then it can really limit the uh, the ability to learn and to progress through the industry. Well, that's the the young person's opportunity to prove themselves and and to be honest, raise their their salary, their wages, and their value to their employer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You would have witnessed a number of education programs that sort of bridge across from the school sector into the manufacturing sector or similar. Have you a success story that you'd like to share about the best the best approach that you've seen? Well, there's two two examples that are quite unique coming out of Wisconsin that I I have to I write about it and but the the interesting thing about it is one they started a, a manufacturing business within a school within a high school and so the freshmen through senior uh, students they would take different positions within that manufacturing company from setup people to programmers to accountants to salespeople uh, all the way through the the whole organization. And Mm -hmm. so local businesses would contract the business within the high school to make components for them. So that I find fascinating. And I think that Mm. model is that model is awesome, in my opinion. The other model that I also found out of Wisconsin is that there's an organization called GPS, uh, and they put a school within side of a, a manufacturing company. So both are totally opposite in their in their approach, 
but mm. both very, very unique and can, and both have proven to be very successful. That's, that'd be very interesting to observe that, that, that's, that second scenario. We would have seen that within the Australian education sector and, and perhaps more globally, I've, I've seen that in other nations. Uh, the workplace simulation that you spoke of in the first scenario where I've seen every couple of weeks those students change roles uh, to now a marketing person from the receptionist and so on and so forth. And that works really well, doesn't it? It just brings it to life. And in many ways, just as you say, it does develop those those problem-solving skills that are so important and those communication skills. Yeah, I think the thing that, you know, the, the t- prototypical apprenticeship program, which I assume probably they have in Australia, I know in Europe they have it, it's very strong. And 10% of the a given company's workforce will be in a, an apprenticeship, a prototypical apprenticeship program. In the United States, the apprenticeship programs have subsided and, and diminished greatly. Now there's a resurgence of apprenticeship programs that are starting back up. But because we don't have such a strong apprenticeship program, some of these other different approaches are necessary to gain more traction for young people in manufacturing. Mm, mm, mm. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah but it's a, uh, it's a complex process at times. As an evaluator for the 2019 Australian Training Awards, that was my role, and I heard it said during that process that female employees in the trade sector, so the manufacturing sector in, in, in America, are often highly regarded due to their attention to detail and quality. So I have two questions stemming from that. Have you observed similar traits in in your sector? Well, I think there's a a great opportunity in in the United States in the manufacturing sector for the female gender to step into uh, an area of manufacturing that they aren't nearly as prominent as, as maybe they could or should be in the future. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the numbers that I've seen uh, is somewhere between 26 to 27 percent of the manufacturing sector is of the female gender. Personally, I think it's lower. I think it's more like 15 to 19 percent. But I've noticed in the 40 years that I've been in it that I've seen a lot of female uh, workers in assembly areas that are extremely uh, talented and extremely proficient at doing, you know, uh, their dexterity with their hands uh, are, are superior to some of us males, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, yep. uh, and in, in the quality control inspection area, I've also seen females do very, very well in the industry. Uh, so I think yes. there's, you know, females think differently and they, they bring a new way of looking at things. And sometimes they uh, have things to offer that that their male counter- counterparts uh, don't do as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I noticed in, in that environment, uh, that, that manufacturing workplace that I was visiting on that day, the employer was extremely proud of this young apprentice, this female apprentice. But just her, and she was obviously really proud as well, but very quiet, but just her presence and her attention to detail seemed to even challenge the the older tradesmen to to ensure they were on top of their game. So so in a way, it brings good balance within the workplace. I agree. I, I've noticed there's been I've talked to some uh, female owners in manufacturing companies, and I find them to be a beacon of example for a lot of mm-hmm. young women that 
you know, potentially, you know, can go into manufacturing employment. So as as gender equity becomes more uh, more balanced, perhaps over the next ten years, um, how do you see that will influence the the manufacturing sector moving forward? Well, I hope. I mean, there's such a void in the United States in terms of manufacturing. The, you know, they were talking six hundred thousand, you know, manufacturing positions that are open, and over the next say five to ten years, you know, two and a half million positions mm. that are that mm. are open. So I think the female gender, uh, I think there's a huge opportunity for them to get involved in manufacturing and hopefully, you know, be able to bring uh, a lot more employment, you know, those vacancies to fill those vacancies. Mm -hmm. One of the things I've seen in some high schools, local high schools, is they'll have a intro to engineering class that is for female students only. And the reason being is that when they had uh, both genders in the class, the the young boys would, you know, make light of the fact that the female, the girls were in the class with them, and they they saw a drop off in the female uh, retention of the young yeah. girls in that class. And by having a, an all female intro to engineering class, the retention's much higher. Yes, yes, and important. I mean, you need that that that. Uh... Uh, professional classroom dynamics in place, don't you? Mm-hmm. You've also written this book, Finding America's Greatest Champion. Tell us about that and tell us about the messages within it. Well, there's a lot of different messages. Um, um, much of it is things that I feel very strongly about, but the, the title is Finding America's Greatest Champion, and that's a play on the Champion Now organization, of course, but uh, America's greatest champion, for starters, is manufacturing. Manufacturing is responsible for our middle class in the United States and has been for a long time. But it's also the America's greatest champion could be the young person that you're mentoring. It could be uh, the female gender in the workforce, in the manufacturing workforce. And it can be, you know, just finding the champion within yourself. The subtitle of the book is Building Prosperity Through Manufacturing, Mentoring, and the Awesome Responsibility of Parenting. So mm-hmm. I, talk, I talk about parenting in the United States and mentoring are so closely uh, together, you know, side by side, and that a lot of people, a lot of parents in, in the States want to be their child's best friend, and they don't want to truly hold them accountable and, and, and make them responsible adults and, and responsible citizens. And so not only do we need to mentor our own children, but we need others to mentor our children and we need to mentor others, other children. Mm, mm, lovely. And you've spoken to some uh, significant uh, people as you prepared the book and as you uh, went to publish, you, you traveled quite a bit, didn't you? You know, I was very fortunate when I, after I, started the book, I realized I had about 40,000 words of just, you know, uh, concepts and different things that, that I believe strongly in that had to do with manufacturing and education and parenting. And then I realized when I sat back that I had a really, a lot of really fascinating acquaintances, friends, and family members. So I Mm -hmm. interviewed about 40 to 50 people. And so uh, I've traveled throughout the U.S. manufacturing community and extensively through the Midwest United States. So I interviewed 
different people uh, I was able to bring in. My forward was written by Greg Wasson, the former CEO of Walgreens. Uh, he brought a entrepreneurial element to manufacturing and mentoring young people. Uh, I also brought in different sports personalities that were either announcers, uh, Wayne Larrabee from uh, announce, announces for the Green Bay Packers, uh, Frank Frangie is a friend of ours, a friend of mine who announces for the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, and then also brought in different manufacturing experts that I had known over these years, as well as my two uncles and my father to talk about their family's journey from Norway into manufacturing, and then, of course, the legacy uh, you know, of almost 100 years of our family in manufacturing. Fantastic. That's a, an important positive message, I think, in uh, in these these days that really we need some 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 positive influence and uh, something to aspire to. And Champion Now offers that for many, I'm sure. Would you like to share your website, Champion Now, for, for the listeners that are listening in? Yeah, our website is championnow.org. So it's champion and then now. So there's two ends in the middle, uh, .org. And there's videos there, there's uh, podcasts, there's uh, videos, and there's all sorts of information about uh, how the manufacturing sector has many, many opportunities that, that people simply don't know about. Wonderful. Terry, you are one of America's modern champions. Thank you so much for taking this time to share with us today about your passion for the manufacturing sector. Lee, thank you very much for having me on today. Learn more about Transformation Consultancy by visiting www.transformationconsultancy.com.au.